read from Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through to 14, which is found on page 191 of the Pew Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess, as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains and on the hills and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts. What you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you. Your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there, rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Good morning, folks. Um, as we're sitting in here this morning, I'm reminded of during the week I was out in Ballyhackamore. The temperatures were a bit like now, and I saw some of the guys, you know, sitting outside Clements. You know, people sit outside having their coffee. I, I don't do that, but but some people do. But but I noticed that one of the things that that seems to be important to make that work is people sit with a wee blanket. Um, if you want to start bringing your blanket to church, I think for the next two or three months, you might be glad of it, and I'll have no problem with that. I'm just saying, uh, bring it along. Feel free to use it. Keep open before you the, the passage we've just looked at, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Um, we'll come to that just now. Let's pray. Lord, when you spoke to Moses, uh, and we'll see this later in this great book, um, you, you prompted him to say to the people, these are not idle words for you, they are your life. You were talking about the words that you had spoken to your people 
Lord, sometimes uh, the Bible and, and your word don't feel that important to us. We, uh, we go for days and weeks and months without really encountering you. Lord, we pray that that wouldn't be the case today. We pray that we'd see that these words are life to us and that we would choose to find more life listening to you in your word. Help us today, we pray. Amen. What's the worship like at Kirkpatrick? Um, Maybe you've found yourself uh, thinking about that. Um, Maybe you asked the question in the early days. A lot of people here have joined this church in recent years. So there must have been a a first Sunday when you arrived, when you were uh, very much analyzing it all. You know, um, what kind of a welcome did I get? What was the preaching like? What's the worship like at Kirkpatrick? Maybe you're still asking that question because you're quite new and you're weighing it all up. And maybe you've been here for years and you're asking that question because you're wondering, well, how's it changed? The community here has changed in quite a number of ways. What about the the experience of, of gathering for public worship? Maybe you have friends who have never been here and occasionally the the subject turns to chatting about the churches that you belong to and and you compare notes. What's the worship like at Kirkpatrick? It sounds like a simple question, but it's not really. I I know because I've been around it for years. Um, There are any number of factors that can play into that conversation. So two or three groups of people could have that conversation and be talking about very different things. So some will talk about whether it's traditional or contemporary, whether it's liturgical or free. Some will prefer worship to be formal, others informal. Some of the preferences will be more around like what size the crowd needs to be, how loud the music needs to be, what atmosphere how much the spirit is sensed to be present. These things and more are the kinds of things that we talk about when we talk about worship. We're going to think about worship today. We're going to think about gathered worship, something that we don't talk about very much here in Kirkpatrick. We tend to just get on with it. Um, But we don't, I, I don't remember preaching on it very often over the years. But what we are going to do is what we do pretty much with every topic that, that we find in our lives. We, we park our own preconceptions, our own ideas for a moment. We have a look at God's word and then we go back to see what, what God might be saying to us about this important subject. So we're going to look today at worship, but we're going to do it in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, We've been in this book for a couple of months now, and we've covered a good deal of ground. Uh, We've jumped around a wee bit, so I thought it might be a useful exercise for me to remind you of the the topics that we've covered and and put them back into the order that we find them in the text. Uh, So for an overall summary, if we pop up the slide, we said choose life, choose a better future, choose a life of freedom and choose to model that life for others. Choose a life of love and choose to share this life with your kids. Choose not to forget gratitude and to remember generosity. Some of those, uh, depending on how many of the, the weeks in the autumn you've been able to be here with us, they'll strike a chord and remind you of some of our Deuteronomy themes. There are a few more 
sermons to come in this series. And the themes that we're going to be exploring are choose true worship, wise leaders, healthy community, choose the word of life, don't choose death, choose life. This morning, choose true worship. Very quickly, for those of you who have been here and have been tracking this series, you're probably panicking and wondering how long this series is going to take because you know that we've spent most of our weeks in the first few chapters. Let me show you quickly the overall structure of the book. I haven't done that so far. It hasn't felt important, but today feels like the day when, when showing you an overall shape of the book might be helpful. There are different ways to divide up Deuteronomy, but the simplest I've seen is to divide it into three parts. Chapters 1 to 3 are sort of like an opening speech from Moses, and that's where we've been spending most of our time. Chapters 12 to 26, a long collection of laws, and that's where we're heading into today. And then chapters 27 to 34, a final speech from Moses. As I say, we've been mostly in Moses' first speech for the first eight weeks, and now we're headed into 15 chapters of law. Isn't that great? 15 chapters of rules. We're loving it. I can see it. You're just feeding that back to me beautifully. Don't worry, because we're not going to go through those verse by verse. That wouldn't be wouldn't be much fun to do, but probably wouldn't be the right thing to do either in terms of how we should understand ourselves in relation to these laws. So followers of Jesus Christ in 2017 in Belfast are not in the same relationship with these laws as the people who first received them. We're not there with Moses. We weren't there before Mount Sinai when the law was first given. You might remember, I talked about this before briefly, the approach that we need to take with the law is to discern core underlying principles. So we don't say these aren't important, but we're asking a slightly different question. How might they be important for us today? If you read the 15 chapters of laws in the middle of Deuteronomy, you find that they deal with, it looks like an awful lot of very diverse stuff, but I think you can categorize them or classify them a wee bit into three different areas. Um, I'm noticing in my notes here that the PowerPoint should be rolling. I forgot to save my changes, so there's no, no PowerPoint here. Not, not very interesting stuff anyway, just, just outlines. Three areas uh, of covered in these laws. Worship, leadership, and community. And we've already reflected those in the titles we've chosen. Worship, leadership, and community. Does that, that sound all right if we talked about those things for three weeks? Dealing with 15 chapters? That's not too scary, is it? We can do that. They seem important for a community like ours. Okay, so this morning we're going to look at chapters 12 to 16, and we're going to think about this theme of choose true worship. 12 to 16, even if you look at that, you're saying, that's, that's five chapters, Christoph. Well, let's do five chapters in five minutes, all right? Is that a reasonable pace at which to to move? Chapter 12, these chapters, I think, deal with uh, at least four questions. The where, the who, the how, and the when of worship, okay? 
Chapter 12, the where of worship. NIV title gives us a good clue about that. The one place of worship. God doesn't want his people at this point under Moses to worship him wherever they like. He doesn't want that. And that might sound a bit weird to us because we know that we can worship God wherever we like. We can do that with a huge crowd in a sports stadium or we can do it on our own on a remote mountaintop. So why, why would this be important? Verse 2 of chapter 12. When you go into the land, destroy completely all the high places on the high mountains and on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations are dispossessing their gods. God, God wants to protect his people from worshipping in the way of the pagan people who have been there before them. A lot of their worship is associated with the places where they worshipped, where they worshipped and how they worshipped are linked. And God just doesn't want his people to be anywhere near that. Verse 4 to 5, You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you're to seek the place where the Lord your God will choose. So God talks to his people about worship, and here's his answer to the where question. The place that I show you, not, not there. Chapter 13, the who question about worship. I think the first verses probably set the tone for the whole chapter. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder he has spoken takes place and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Even if it's a prophet, don't listen to him. If he says, let's worship somebody else, don't listen to him. In fact, the chapter goes on to say, it doesn't matter whether it's a prophet, whether it's your brother or your son, whether it's your daughter or your very wife whom you love, or your closest friend. If anyone invites you to worship another god, don't do it. It is the Lord your God you must revere. Uh, must follow and him you must revere. So that's the who of worship. It's unequivocal. The Lord your God, no one else. How to worship. I love what God says about how he wants to be worshipped. Chapter 14. There's a section in there. This is where my lovely grid breaks down a wee bit. There's a wee section in there about what you should and shouldn't eat. It feels a bit more like the HE curriculum slid in with the worship notes. But um, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Look at verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Moses, do tell the people about sacrifices. Tell them to bring the sacrifices along with them to the place of worship, but make sure there's a brilliant party. They've got to experience my goodness to them with regular parties. Isn't that brilliant? Who knew God loves his people to celebrate and have parties? What does this passage say to those of us, those churches who have made following Jesus into some sort of drab 
colorless, lifeless affair, as if that's what God wants from us. They're not reading the story. This is how God wants to be worshipped. Actually, if you read on in verse 24, it gets even better. I love this. But it's kind of like a case study. Well, well, what happens if I live too far away and I can't bring all my, all my herds and all my crops and all my wine along with me to the party? What if that just doesn't work if I live too far away? Well, God's got that covered. He says, sell the stuff where you are, take the money with you and go and buy the best meat and the best wine because this party has to happen. And it has to be the best. Because the best things in life are the things that we associate with me. I I just look at our forms of spirituality sometimes and I wonder, how did we manage to have all the boring, grey, drab stuff left over for life with God? Not, Not by reading these texts anyway. Amazing stuff. One last thing. God tells Moses towards the end of this chapter, make sure nobody's left out. The Levites, the immigrants, the fatherless, the widow, anybody who doesn't have, who can't naturally afford to be part of these kind of celebrations, make sure they're invited. This is for everyone. Everyone gets a seat at this table. The rules in chapter 15 about cancelling debts and freeing slaves, they might seem a bit out of place, but but I'm actually going to make a case for them not being out of place at all. If this section of Deuteronomy is about worship, this stuff about economics and real life is not out of place. Don't, don't let's believe that. Whenever we worship the true God, it changes how we live. Sundays have to change Monday to Saturday. It's not okay to live a particular way Monday to Saturday and then show up here and live a a totally out-of-kilter experience for a few hours on a Sunday. This is not what pleases God. The, The prophets railed against this. If I'm worshipping God on a Sunday and abusing my employees, if I'm ripping off people during the week, then then I'm not a worshipper. This is not true worship. Doesn't matter how high my hands are or how loud the worship is. That's that's not, you know, I could take you to the prophets. They go mad about this stuff. No, you see, worship has to make sense of the whole of life. Uh, Paul spells this out for us in the opening verse of Romans 12. And Peterson does a lovely job in the message with this verse. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. For everyday disciples, how we live Monday to Saturday is every bit as much worship as standing together singing here. Let's come back to the text one last time and then we'll try to work out what this stuff means for us. Chapter 16. God gives his people guidance for the when of worship, the timing. And he gives them a a series of celebrations that he wants them to remember. That Remember the Passover. 
that big celebration of their rescue from Egypt. They're to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks after they begin to harvest. They're to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles when they're finished uh, processing their crops and their grapes. Did these guys, when I read this stuff, I wonder, did they, did they do any work? You know, they're always taking seven days off for the next party. But I like it. I like it. The chapter um, 16, I think, is summarized there in verse 16. The Lord says, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place where he will choose. So God gives them rhythms of celebration. Uh, don't, don't despise the rhythms that we have, say, in our own church calendar where we say, where we come back to particular themes on a regular basis. They're probably better for us than we realize if we enter into them with a good heart. So if we stop right there, that was five chapters in probably six or seven minutes. We've seen a lot of detail about what God gave to his people in that time and in that place. The where and the who, the how and the when. But what are we going to do with this? We're not bound by these rules on worship in quite the same way as Moses and the, the people of Israel were. Christian worship in 2017 is different. Does that mean we have nothing to learn here? We just say, well, we looked at those five chapters uh, and we move on. I don't think so. In behind the specific questions, the where and the when, I think there's a global question of the heart. What's our posture when we come to worship? What are we thinking of in this time that we spend together before God? What's our motivation? What's at the heart of our worship? To demonstrate the importance of that kind of a question about thinking well about worship, we're going to do now for a few moments what we've done nearly every sermon in this series, and that is jump to a different part of the Bible to see what it says about the stuff that we're exploring here in Deuteronomy. Turn with me to 1 Kings 12, 25. 1 Kings 12, page 352, if you're using the Bibles provided there in the pew. 1 Kings 12. Just while you're looking that up, let me give you context. It's centuries after the times we're reading in Deuteronomy. The people have been in the promised land for many generations. They've had their first three kings by this stage. So they've had Saul, David, Solomon. If you know the story, you'll know that Solomon's son Rehoboam becomes king of Israel. Rehoboam is cruel and oppressive. So what happens is 11 of the 12 tribes rebel against Rehoboam and create a separate northern kingdom. And their first king is a guy called Jeroboam. And we're going to drop into the story at that point to see. We're going to enter into the mind and heart of Jeroboam, but we're going to see a little bit about the mind and heart of worship. So if we begin to read there, verse 25 of 1 Kings 12. Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. 
From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they'll again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines in high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. He did this in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. Right. Jeroboam in the light of Deuteronomy. What did he do? Think about the where and the who and the how and the when, the stuff that we've just been thinking about. What does he do? He changes everything. That's interesting, but even more interesting, I think, is the why question. We're not told that he does it by accident or that he didn't know the rules. We're given an insight into his mind right at the start of the narrative. He does it for political gain. He wants to make sure that he keeps the people with him and not with Rehoboam down there in Jerusalem. So worship of the living God has become for him not a matter... God doesn't feature at all in his reckoning. It's not anymore about the living God. It's all about him. By the way, you you might be wondering, is that a big deal? You know, we can slide into these things subtly. If you read read on in the books of Kings... Each time uh, the life story of a king is explained, there's a wee formula used at the end to tell you whether they were a good or a bad king. If somebody was a bad king, we're told that they walked in the ways of Jeroboam. Jeroboam isn't just a disappointing king in a slightly less than average way. Jeroboam is the benchmark for everything that's bad in a king. The person who takes people away from the living God and somehow makes it all about him. And folks, this is what I want to think with you about for the last few minutes today. 
the sin of Jeroboam is rife in today's church. It's the most subtle thing in the world. Any, anybody who comes to the front of a gathering like this and does so in an ongoing way will probably know what I'm talking about. The church leader, you hear this constant whispering, like somebody sitting on your shoulder, in your ear the whole time. What could I do to draw a crowd? What could I do to keep people with me? I've heard that voice over the years here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Thank God, most of the time when I hear it, I also hear a siren ringing and red lights start to flash. And I don't tend to go very far with those thoughts, but I know them. I've seen them. Folks, I am fiercely protective of what goes on in our public worship gatherings. Much more than any specific thing, the who, the where, the why, you know. I'm I'm actually very flexible about those things. You could test me on that sometime and we'll talk it through. What I'm not flexible about is the spirit in which people lead us. I'm, I'm immensely grateful to the, the many people who, who have led worship here, who have preached, who managed not to distract me from God, but actually, just very naturally, week after week, different people in different ways, they, they bring me uh, closer to him. They're willing to become invisible so that he is large among us. If there's one thing that disappoints me and one thing that I won't tolerate while I have responsibility here, it's the person who wants to make public worship about them. I'm not having that. And neither should you. Actually, I don't think you would. I have a sense that if there was much of that going on, you would see it for what it is. We don't want to do that. For as long as we're together worshipping here, let's choose true worship. I want to finish by returning briefly to one of these specific aspects of worship that um, Moses did talk about, the, the place of worship. The idea that it matters where we worship God. In one sense, we, we no longer believe that, and I've already said that. Football stadium, mountain top, we can worship him wherever. Geography, physical location doesn't matter. But there's another sense in which the place of worship is more important than ever before. Jesus Christ is the place where we worship God. 
he talked about this himself. I don't know if you remember when he was beside the, the well with the Samaritan woman. She tried to draw him into a debate. She said, you know, we Samaritans worship here on this mountain. You Jews worship down there in that temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, listen, there's a time when it won't be the mountain or the temple. Worship will be in spirit and truth. And his implication was, it'll be in me. On another occasion when Jesus had been in the temple, he said the weirdest thing. He said, knock this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. It probably taken, I don't know, three lifetimes to build that temple. But he wasn't talking about the bricks and mortar. He was talking about his body. I'm the temple. I'm the only place where a person can worship God. I'd love to go on and and explore more of those passages where Jesus is shown to be the place where we worship God. Uh, One of my favorites, this is kind of weird for a minister to say, but it is one of my favorites. Revelation 21 verse 22. John's image towards, uh, as as he's showing us God's planned future for his people, he tells us what what heaven's going to be like or or what that future is going to be. And he says, I didn't see a temple in that city. Can you imagine? Like Belfast, we have a temple or a church in every corner. No temple anywhere in that city. Because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. There will be a time when we don't need this building and these gatherings because it will all have that sense of pure presence joyful celebration worship how's our worship here at Kirkpatrick Memorial I don't know if you're asking me about those categories that we raised at the start this morning uh, contemporary traditional liturgical free uh, I, I really don't know I don't really give an awful lot of my head and heart space to that here's what I do know I want it all to be about Jesus Christ. I want the person who leads us on a Sunday morning to gather us together from wherever we're coming from and to say, let us worship God, our creator, the one who gave us life. Let's, let's be with him here this morning. I want us to gather here week after week, hungry to be in the company of Jesus, the one who, who saved us, who gave us life for us, the one who calls us now to be his apprentices and to follow him, to, to be with him and to learn from him. I want us to be sent from here every week, commissioned with a, a, new, a new portion of the spirit of Jesus Christ on us, to live for him To model his life for the world. Folks, let's keep choosing true worship. Not about us. Not any one of us. But all about him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the times when 
corporate worship has been a real blessing and an encouragement to us. We, we receive that from you as a gift of your grace. Lord, we pray too that our worship would be a blessing to you. You see into our hearts, you know our motives, you know who we are, why we're here. Lord, I pray that as you look on our lives, at least occasionally and more often and, and maybe nearly all the time, Lord, you'd see us as lovers of you. People who love being with you. Love being with those who love you. And Lord, we pray just very simply, if, if there's one thing that we, we want to say today, we're going to say this isn't about us, but it is all about you. We pray that you'll be blessed and we'll be changed every time we meet to worship. Help us to choose true worship. Amen. Folks, let's raise our voices. Let's sing uh, How Great Is Our God uh, and the stewards will lift the offering while we do that.